Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Tifunganuetara, where I'm recording today. Hello, Jen! Hello, friend! How are you? Oh, I am cold and wet. <laughs> But it's and fine. It's cold weather. I don't think I've ever experienced a cyclone. Oh, this is probably my third one since I've been here, I want to say. Um, and most Wellingtonians are pretty happy about this one, which is unusual for us. But because we've got this protest happening at Parliament, we're oh, yeah. all like, yes, wash them away, blow them away, rid yeah, us yeah, of them. Get rid of them. A misery, I think my favorite thing to come out of it, though, was people wanting to put Pfizer in the sprinkler water because they put the sprinklers on to discourage them from staying. And then, what, what was the other one? The James Blunt tweet. Yes, thank you. <laughs> that one just made me so happy. Well, they have played James Blunt today, just so have you they? know. <laughs> We've taken him up on his offer. <laughs> oh, man. I love the idea of discouragement music. I don't think it's working. but <laughs> James Blunt just doesn't bother me. It's not offensive enough. I don't mind a bit of James Blunt either. It's like, eh. It's the same with Coldplay. Like, if I hear it, I'm like, eh. Yeah, it's perfectly acceptable pop rock, right? People get real angry about it. Yeah, people love to be mad about stuff. I think the the real thing they should do is the Wiggles, right? So you have children's music. Well, they tried that. They played Baby Shark this morning and then they played Let It Go, but people got really into that and we're like, okay, no, maybe that's actually a banger and we shouldn't be playing that one. (laughs) So people have been making loads of suggestions. There was some panpipe music at one stage. Bagpipes? (laughs) I suppose it is quite childish, but when... People are just behaving in such appalling ways. It's kind of like, what can you do? Yeah, they did the same in Canberra. And it's so stupid because the parliament's not even there. Like, everybody's gone home. People today were like, why won't Jacinda come out and speak to us? And it's a Sunday. She doesn't live in parliament. She's not like a teacher (laughs) when you're little and you think the teacher lives in the school. Like, what is wrong with you? She's not even in Wellington. Like, what are you doing? I love this. People just have no idea how it actually works. And yet, just meet my demands. I'm demanding them. Therefore, they must be met. No, mate. Also, why would she come out to talk to you when you're literally threatening to kill her? Like, come on, guys. Yeah, that wouldn't induce me to leave my house. Anywho. Uh, how are you? I am good. It has been a busy day. It's been kind of a crazy week. I just feel like even though I haven't been productive in the ways I've wanted to be, I'm still doing stuff. That's good. Yeah. A lot of tidying, a lot of recalibrating. And I started a new class too, which is hard but good. Amazing. What sparked joy for you this week? It was really tough. But the absolute best part of my week was hands down getting to hold a baby. I got to hold baby. Oh, finally. (laughs) Four months old, just four months old. So he's still really little, really fresh, just teeny tiny. And like such a cuddly baby, like so smiley, kept smiling at me and giving me like big heart eyes. I'm like, I'm here for this. Um, And then my son got to hold him for a little bit. And that was just the most beautiful moment because my son just was like you know and I'm sort of supporting my son because he's the youngest he doesn't know what a baby is like I'm sort of supporting my son like hands around to make sure the four-month-old isn't dropped and my son just is looking at him and he goes you and I are gonna be best friends I was like, oh, oh I love this <laughs> my daughter got to have a turn it was just great and we I also like baby Louie's older sister and parents were there and 
we really love them. And in fact, um, Rich, who is Baby Louie's dad, is one of the people who was like really fundamental to me and Simon meeting in real life. Like he really got the ball rolling on that. So in a way, all of this is his fault. Everything great in my life is partially Aww. his fault. So love getting to catch up with him. Wholesome. <laughs> so good. How about you? What sparked joy for you? Um, I think for me, a highlight of the week is I had my Harry Potter sacred text group on Wednesday, mm-hmm. which was just really good. We've almost finished Chamber of Secrets and I just really value this little group so much and just getting to do this one thing, yeah. you know, just for like an hour and a half. It's just so lovely. It was great. And while I was waiting for that to kick off, I um, popped into the Welly Collective, which is just like a little space on Courtney Place for small businesses and artists to like display their wares and just have an opportunity to physically sell things when they're mostly online businesses. And I picked up a drawing from one of the local artists that I really liked. So yeah, I'll pop that in the show notes and people can check it out because she's very cool. I love getting local art. I think that's something I want to do when I, if I ever travel again someday again <laughs> start collecting art from the places i go because i think that's a really nice way to honor your travel mm. journey without having to like i don't know i've only got one fridge and it's already covered in magnets so yeah fair well this week we've read chapters 19 to 27 through the theme of inheritance have you got a story for us this week sure i actually really struggled to come up with something to say about inheritance and then i realized i was just thinking too linearly i'm like i need to think outside of the box so i was trying to think of something like an object or something significant that it kind of passed down through the family right and what that meant but i don't think inheritance is only physical I think we also inherit stories and customs and traditions, often without even realizing it. And then I thought of the novel, The Inheritance of Loss by Kiran Desai, which won the Booker Prize in 2006. And one of the major themes of that book is the effect of colonialism and the loss of identity Mm -hmm. and how that kind of travels through generations when you start inheriting loss, essentially. And that made me think like, I've mentioned on this podcast before how a big part of Te Ao Māori is whakapapa, where someone can trace their identity to the land and to their people, so they place themselves in the wider context of everything around them. And it's kind of essentially essential to that to know the location where your ancestral her- heritage first began, so like the very first place, the origin of yeah. you. It's genealogy, but it's also deeper than that. It's physical and spiritual. And sitting sort of alongside that is the concept of kaiti akitanga, which means guardianship or protection. And, and it's a way of looking after the environment. So like the lakes, the sea, the forest, the rivers. But if you understand where you come from and how you fit into the wider world, or I guess rather if you know you belong to a place, you are meant to look after it. And it creates a community and a sense of belonging and purpose around this guardianship. I've mentioned before as well about but it's something I've actually struggled with when I was learning te reo because I don't know my papa. I don't know where my roots began. Like, I know it's Dutch and German and French, but I don't know the specifics. And, yeah. you know, I know there were escapes from, like, religious prosecution and cultural genocide, but I, again, don't know the specifics. And I know that somewhere along the way, there is, like, Khoisan and Malaysian heritage, which means probably there's a very problematic slavery angle to be explored in my ancestry. Mm-hmm. And... There is war and bloodshed and loss of home and land that stretches back centuries through different lines. And I know that there's a large chip on the shoulder of a lot of my immediate ancestors, and that is a trauma that reverberates through to my living family. And it's something that I've always refused to look too closely at. I think in a way I'm afraid of what I've inherited, the stories and the history. But I'm curious too. I think there's power in knowing where your roots are and to have an anchor in the past and to know the stories of those who came before you. It's something I really want to give more thought to and explore a bit more and take the time to understand because understanding what I've inherited can help me be a better guardian of the world we're all sharing. So I think it's a worthy pursuit. I love that. 
I really resonate with that. Not knowing when your colonial ancestors actually began the colonization. In my case, I do have a direct line to the Mayflower, which is kind of interesting, but also horrifying. Mm. Um, But then again, I live in Australia and my children live in Australia. So we're living on unceded land and we have to think about like, what does that mean? And the answer I've come up with, the best answer I've come up with is stewardship, right? We just have to do Mm. our best to look after the place we are. It's not really mine. I don't get to keep it. I don't take it with me when I die. So I can't leave it worse than I found it, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I love the idea that, yeah, you have a responsibility to look after the, the land that you live on because we all rely on that. We're all responsible. We yeah. We need to take responsibility for that. No man is an island. Exactly. And it's everybody's. It's not just ours, right? Like all the things we do, they are connected and they have a flow on effect. And yeah, it's just willful blindness to think anything otherwise, you know? Mm. Anyway, philosophy corner. Yeah. Ongoing. <laughs> I loved your story and thank you for sharing. It is really hard to think of something that you inherit that isn't just a thing, isn't it? Yeah, it was an interesting thought process to go through because my mum spent a lot of time doing the family tree and going back years and years and years. And like her side of the family have centuries worth of family lineage. So that work has been done. And I actually texted her and was like, can you send me the work that you've done if you've got it? And I'll just take a look. So we'll find out. That's really great. Also, yay for mums. It always seems to be mums on Ancestry.com, right? Doing the work. (laughs) I remember I had to do a school project. I think it was in year three or four. That was like Mm. your family tree. And she just got really into it. But this is pretty widespread internet. So we would go to the library and physically look it up in books. Oh, wow. Ye olde days. It's all been done for my kids here by my in-laws, which is great. Like they've got their family trees all sorted. And I should probably get copies of that for them. But um, who knows with my family? It's all (laughs) a mystery. Well, this week, our chapter summaries... The mage can't budge Simon from staying at Watford, though he would dearly love to. Simon and Penny work on spells and wait for something. Baz is still nowhere to be found, and Agatha and Simon finally, painfully break up. It's about time. Simon gets a visitation from Baz's mother and promises to relay the message. Lucy still can't quite get through. Mm, poor Lucy. I cried every time <laughs> just thinking about the fact that Baz wasn't there and Simon couldn't sleep. So Simon was never in his room. So Lucy never had the opportunity to see him because he was never sleeping in his room, even though that's where he's supposed to be. Oh, Simon is just falling apart. He's failing half his classes. He's not mm-hmm. sleeping. He's not, you know, he's just wandering around. Perfect normal roommate behavior so funny. i had to add a new section to chant to the tangential marginalia i had to add opinions because penny's <laughs> opinions always make me laugh and i just realized that so much of my underlining is just me going ha because penny is so funny it's like a whole section now <laughs> i do a lot of lol on the margins i have to admit there is a lot of funny bits so with inheritance i think can we start with the obvious and the fact that simon is quite literally the mage's heir yeah literally and also figuratively so they made him the heir in order to Mm. go to watford and entered him in the book of magic but also that is your dad this is what i wanted to ask you do you think the mage always intended to make him his heir in this way therefore legitimizing him because like he left him at this orphanage and was his goal always to reclaim him in this way being like i'll pick him up and then i'll just make him my heir i think so because i think it's sticking it to the traditional families right it's blowing it back in the idea of inheritance it's actually like subverting what you expect right like he could pluck a normal out of nowhere and make him his heir and that way there is no lineage to be established but actually that is his son like i feel like it's a it's a sucker punch or or like a slap Mm. in the face to the tradition that is so dearly held close by everyone else in power so he talks about it a couple times actually like something about he wishes that the humdrum would turn up just so that they could actually show these old families you know what what's working on what what they're working on what they need them for 
I wish the humdrum would show his face again to remind these backwards fools what we're up against. Like, he really wants this battle to be won Mm. against these traditional magicians. But he has to have an heir to do that. And, like, it's Simon, his actual child. It drives me crazy that he did this to Simon. Like, it actually drives me wild. Because I think so many of Simon's issues would just not be an issue if he had raised him properly. Like... Yep. If he'd actually taught him, maybe he wouldn't have ripped so much magic out, which means the humdrum wouldn't be so strong. Like, he would be in better control of his magic. It just honestly drives me wild. (laughs) And the fact that he's like, I will find a spell to fix it. I will unbreak him. Like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. He's not a weapon first. He's a person first. And you messed up, dude. I think that is very clear expectation. I thought, like, he just expects Mm -hmm. magic to fix everything. He's like, there will be a spell for it. I can just fix it. Which is quite an elitist point of view like he rails against this kind of elitist magic point of view that the old families have but he's just mm-hmm. as bad yeah using little birds to send messages rather than just ringing people's yeah. mobiles banning mobiles as well like honestly this man you can't ban them unilaterally from schools he also like physically comes for the old family's inheritance right like he yeah, has already yeah, seized yeah. their power their perceived birthright and then he comes and takes away all their physical objects and, and these raids so he comes for the books and the artifacts and basically anything and he admits even things that he knows is useless to him he just takes because yeah. this section drives me crazy as well page 122 I send my men to take my enemies' treasure to raid their libraries I show them that even a red faced child in my uniform has more power than they do in this new world i show them what their names are worth nothing even a red-faced child so when baz made that comment that simon remembers where he's like you know can't be picky with cannon fodder mm-hmm. that is 100 correct he just That's has these happening. children only a couple of years older than simon and simon feels that he feels like he's not really the major's heir right like he's rubbing up against that too mm. he's not anything but a bomb he says it he hates the way that these older boys are looking at him they feel so important i hate the dark green breeches they wear and the gold stars on their sleeves like he isn't actually anything he's just a weapon all he wants is to be useful like he is so desperate to be useful and it breaks my heart like he expects the mage to involve him and give him a task and he also kind of expects him to do something about Baz. And the fact that he's like, oh, the pitch boy, like he has got nothing to do with it. This scheming a-hole. Oh yeah, like he has no idea. And then he totally distracts him and does that thing where he's like, well, they're pulling their sons in. Yeah. Which brings up another expectation that I thought later when Penny has Simon and Agatha in the room to brainstorm. Yeah despite their lack of interest. Penny and Simon sort of expect the mage to be right and to be telling the truth. They sort of just take what he says at face value. And then Agatha disrupts that with that new information. Like she brings that there's two sides to the story thing in because she's like, she says, you know, you can't expect people to, you can't just expect to walk into someone's house and demand to go through their attic without expecting a few jewels. And they were like, what? Yeah, they had no idea. And I think it's really great that she actually points that out. Like, there's more happening than they're aware of. But then she also still expects her family to be safe due to the connections that they have. Like, you know, he would never raid our house because my dad's on the coven. Which is just a new kind of cronyism. So he's just replaced one system with another. She's extremely snobby, but she's snobby in the way that, like, people who benefit from structural racism say, I don't see color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, like, Agatha benefits from structural magical prejudice. But, like, it's not personal that they wouldn't let Simon in. That's nothing Mm. to do with, like, that's just how it is. Like, but it's not personal. Like, actually, it is personal. (laughs) Which is another thing. Like, again, you know, Simon has such a chip on his shoulder about being a normal, which he isn't. And if he was just, if the mage had not done this to him, he would be in such a better 
state and it honestly he deserves better i hate it <laughs> yeah the mage is going on and on about how he's got to fix simon and like his vessel he's the only vessel big enough to hold it but he is cracked he is compromised he's just a boy there must be a way a spell a charm a token that can help him how about a mentor time machine go back in time and don't be such a jerk 100 percent agreed just be a parent look there are books and stuff you can talk to people someone would have helped you just give the baby to lucy's parents my goodness yeah they just leave him on the doorstep they yeah. would never have known <laughs> Seriously. Honestly, I hate him so much. I actually just despise him. He is the literal worst. It doesn't really come up in this section, but Penny uses her ring and Simon uses his wand. So it made me think about how magical tools work in this world because they're all inherited, right? And, you know, Garrus belt buckle. (laughs) Garrus belt buckle. Just thrusting, unfortunately, at things. Wouldn't you just turn that into a wristband? I'm sorry. I 100% would just be like, I'm wearing it on my wrist or something. The whole thing is so terrible. I actually have something to show you. This is a bit of a digression. Hang on, though. I will Stay wait. Stay with me. This is a couple episodes late, but... Mad Max Paracord bracelets! Hey, cool. I hope Red's okay. Oh, amazing. We can have matching bracelets. I know. How cool is that? Anyway. Um. So, yeah, I was thinking, you know, we know that Simon got his wand from the mage as part of his whole mage's ear thing. Yeah. But then Penny later thinks that one of the reasons it doesn't work for, well for him is because he isn't tied to it the way that she's inherited a ring or, you know, these things have passed down in families. But he obviously is tied to it because he is actually the mage's son, but he doesn't know it. So yeah. would it work better if Simon actually believed it? I just It ties into expectation for me because I think there's a lot of Simon's issues with magic that is actually related to his limiting self-belief. So he thinks he's not good mm. with words. He thinks he's not actually a mage. He thinks his wand is not his, you know? I think there's something to the idea that your ability is impacted by what you think you're capable of. I agree with that. I also feel like the way his magic works is so different because it doesn't need to be spoken. Mm. There are lots of instances where he doesn't speak magic and it works for him. Like he floats down the stairs after his fight with Agatha. Like he turns the lights on in the last section without meaning to. He ends up making a spell trying to get Agatha to just talk to him. Mm. And it ends up being a compulsion spell and he has to then undo it. And because he's really desperate for it to work, it does work. Yeah. And it's like, and stop trying to force him into this world. Like Penny always says to him, you know, it doesn't work like that. You shouldn't be able to do that. But the thing is, he is doing it. So instead of trying yeah. to force him into this set of expectations that you have, mm-hmm. you should just allow him to work within the scope that he is in rather than yeah. putting him in a box. Do what works, right? Yeah. Very frustrating. Because you just make him feel unworthy and he's not unworthy. No, he's really fighting to actually earn his inheritance, I think. And even even when he's trying to say like yes I, I i deserve this inheritance it's very unconvincing so like the bit where he says you know i was prophesied and like penny's like well oh yeah but, you know someone was and like simon did turn up at the right time and he is very powerful and agatha just rolls her eyes like whatever that doesn't mean you're not a normal <laughs> yeah know? like he really wants to have he really wants to be the mage's heir he wants to have that he wants to belong and he just doesn't feel like he does even though he's there it's the place he belongs the most but it's still not full belonging mm. um can we talk about agatha a little bit because I thought that there was some great intersection of what she thinks of her inheritance and like her just shoving that expectation aside Mm. specifically in being endgame for Simon I think she doesn't really understand she doesn't want to be that until she actually is confronted with the idea that that's what he wants and then she can say no actually I don't Mm. she doesn't want to be the thing that he inherits when he beats all the bad guys which I thought was just interesting kind of parallel to what we get in any way the wind blows because Mm -hmm. Baz also makes a comment about being a video game that Simon needs to beat and I just kind of enjoyed that book ending that's okay sometimes people need jobs like (laughs) I need little jobs 
I think needing a little job is perfectly acceptable. What I thought was really interesting about Simon and Agatha's relationship and really telling is on page 124 when they're having an argument about going away for like the break. Yeah. And he says, I don't want to leave Watford and I don't think she actually wants me to go home with her, but she wants me to want to or something, which is a classic relationship problem, I think. I've definitely been in that situation where you're like, you're having an argument, but the argument is stupid because you're expecting someone to just read your mind because you want him to know that that's what you want but you don't want to say that that's what you want which is a maturity thing I think but I I was just like really in that I'm like yep this sums up everything that's wrong with the two of them I think sometimes I get caught out with that too but on the other end of it like I wasn't invited to a friend's wedding and I just had my daughter and I thought oh I really don't want to go because I've just got this like two-month-old baby but I really wanted to be invited hmm she didn't even show the interest and after that I just really let the friendship wither because I was like well I obviously don't matter even enough to like be given the opportunity to send a gift I'm happy to not take up a space I would RSVP right away no I would still send a gift but like the act of being asked yeah I just I remember that as being like oh right I wanted to be asked even though I can't make it I wanted to be included when I had my 30th birthday I invited loads of people who I knew wouldn't come or couldn't come but I like I would invite them like I invited Frank for example I'm like look no expectation that you're gonna come from London but I just want to invite you yeah I love that and then you came and I was like oh my gosh I did not (laughs) expect that but I dragged Chris with a broken leg that was great it was so lovely it was really fun so there we go expectations also, with Agatha and Simon, you know there's that moment where they've, they've had this argument and they're sitting at breakfast and then Simon says, I put my hand on her leg and squeeze and she turns to me smiling with the bottom half of my, her face. They're just performing this relationship. Yeah, 100%. For each other? For who? For each other, I'm assuming. There's no one else who cares. It's just habit. And he's trying to save it even though he doesn't actually want to save it. It's just because he thinks he should. Like, you know, he says, don't you want to say anything else to me? Like, I'm sorry, don't you want to fix this? Yeah, and she's like, there's nothing left to fix. Yeah, and he's like, you're my future. And she just says, you want, you just want a happy ending, which is true. He does. And I don't, look, I think it's not that he doesn't care about Agatha, because he obviously does care about Agatha. But they just aren't in love. And Penny actually says that. But I'll get to that later. That's in my opinion section. It's like he has the structure, this framework. Like, he knows how his life is meant to go if he survives. And he's set this up. Like, okay, I will continue being Agatha's boyfriend. And then we will get married. Her dad likes me. Her mom thinks I'm handsome. And, like, the bit where he's like, her dad calls me son. Not like I think of you as my son. But, like, how are you, son? Like, I'm a son. The sort of guy who could be someone's son. That broke my heart because when you break up with someone, you also break up with their family. You lose the family, yeah. And so... Sometimes that's so much worse. 100% agree. But I mean, people don't talk about how if you're in a relationship with someone and that ends, like you have to also grieve their family. And I think that it's really hard for him because he doesn't have a family. So Agatha's like, oh, it's just Simon. But also like she's not taking that into account that it's not just her he was hoping for. Yeah, he was hoping for belonging again. And I think this is a whole problem later. Like, this is actually the whole problem with the rest of the series that Simon has, is that he needs to believe in this endgame. And at the end of this book, he doesn't believe in that anymore. Like, you know, in page 143, he says, you have to pretend you get an endgame. You have to carry on like you will. Otherwise, you can't carry on at all. And then he says, the happy ending is when things are going to begin for me. And I really, I think this is what we see manifest through the rest of the series, is him grappling with that. It stresses me out so much to think that he's been just treated so badly in his childhood. And Agatha also thinking about Baz and being like, I can't date a Tory vampire. (laughs) (laughs) My parents would disown me. So that's inheritance. 
But she doesn't actually want to date Baz either. She just like wants to be wanted significantly. She wants to be wanted for who she is, not for what she like represents. I don't think she's authentic in who she is because she doesn't really know who she is, right? So even, mm. you know, if she wants to be wanted by Baz for who she is, she's just performing for him as well, right? Yeah. But what I thought was interesting is when she said, you know, but Baz wouldn't expect me to be good. Always so good. Like the weight of the expectation for her to always be this, you know, perfect princess at the end that Simon rescues. Like, it's yeah, a lot that would be annoying. to carry. Yeah, I wouldn't be down with it. Agatha doesn't want to be Peach anymore, and fair enough. I get it. I'm going to go deeper in that, because I actually picked that part of that for my end-up marginalia, but... Cool. I think that the expectation that she has to end up with him just because she's the prize would rub, and I'm proud of her for actually saying, like, no, I don't want that. I don't want to inherit this position as your prize. Yeah, and I think that's quite a U-turn for her, which I noted, because, you know, Penny talks about her mum inventing a spell, and the spell is the ladies not for turning, which is a Margaret mm. Thatcher quote, which comes from the speech where she basically said she wouldn't make a U-turn on policy, and she's like, you can U-turn if you want to, but the ladies not for turning. So it's this really iconic speech. And I thought it was interesting that Agatha, when she's walking the rampants, she talks about, like, the weather's turning and I just noticed the turning and both of those things and then the idea that she has actually made a U-turn on her position and this is just before she breaks up with him. Yeah, like a second before Simon actually appeared, she was talking about how Baz wants what they have. Not what they had, have. Because he finds the handkerchief, right? Like if there wasn't the handkerchief as a catalyst, maybe it wouldn't have happened. But also I just... Simon cracks me up so much under perfectly normal roommate behavior, you know, when he's like, is he coming? Are you meeting him? Like, he just actually doesn't care about, you know, he just wants Baz to turn up. And I think yeah. even even the breakup isn't really about Agatha, because in that moment, he's like, damn it all, he isn't even here to have that over me. Like, he, yeah, he's, he's just so thinking obsessed. about Baz. Uh, I had something else about expectation, that Simon's magic never goes as expected, and mm. I thought that was really interesting. Um, there are so many examples in the whole book, but I thought this one was really, really stuck out to me where he kills all the flippertigibbets. And he's like, I think I killed some other things too. Eb found pheasants in the field and Reese had a parakeet. And then the mage like glances at the robin flitting above his shoulder. Like, oh, as if there are consequences for your actions, Davy. Yeah. Anyway. He just brushes that off though. He's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, okay. It's terrible. It's so sad. Like poor Simon accidentally murdering some kid's pet. Like I would feel terrible if that were me. And I think he feels terrible too. And he doesn't really get the opportunity to sort of like, I'm so sorry I did this. And can I get you a new pet? Or like, what can I do? Like he doesn't, no one helps him be a person. It makes him scared of using his magic, right? He's always reluctant yeah. to use his magic because he knows that it's going to have consequences. Like it's going to make the road disappear or it's going to kill something else. It's always going to be bigger than what he intended it to be he's gonna be standing under penny's window stomping out fire on fire leaves you know because he's so upset and fragile that he's like literally shedding sparks no emotional regulation yet again bless him poor kid he works really hard on it though i'm really proud of him for like being like nope i'm gonna go to bed i'm gonna make sure i don't set my bed clothes on fire and then we're gonna sort Mm. it out tomorrow like he he does try and get himself regulated he's just not good at doing it naturally but i see i see improvements Mm, he does try and he's all like he has no help with it this is the thing like he has no support in doing that he's just figuring it out himself and even when he asks for help he doesn't get it this is the thing that really annoys me like he comes to people Mm. with with questions and asking for help and they just stonewall him or distract him or you know brush him off try to act like it's not important like you should be able to handle it because you slay dragons it's just honestly the ways he has failed yeah and then penny says you know we're not kids anymore we're adults now i'm like "Mm, are you i think it's okay to be like that in between state almost grown up but not quite 
It's when you think you're the most grown up. It's before you realize you don't know anything. It's, I would argue it's the best time because you don't know that you don't know everything, but you think you do. I always felt like I definitely never knew anything at all, though. I feel more confident now that I know that I like that I can name my failings. I think that's more important, right? Like I know what won't work for me. So I know where my limits are better. I think it's really interesting that the ghosts have the expectation that the people are going to be the places they're meant to be and that this mm. is well known enough that Baz has been gotten out of the way so his mom can't visit him. Yeah. I do wonder that nobody thought about the fact that Simon has a ghost who might want to see him though. Yeah, and why does she not manifest? Why can't she manifest? Like, what is the deal with Lucy? I wonder if she gave all of her magic to Simon. So do you have to be magic in order to be a ghost? Is that the argument? I think you have to be magic in order to speak. I think you have to be magic enough to pierce the veil. Because doesn't she say before, you need magic, a whole soul full of it? Mm. And she felt like she was being sucked dry, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think Simon's magic, a significant part of it is Lucy's. Also, maybe just because Natasha Grimpitch kept showing up and being more magical. I thought it was interesting when the mage said maybe Natasha Grimpitch could have stood against the humdrum, but she's long gone and none of her relations have her power. And I'm like, I would argue that Baz is pretty That's powerful. Pretty close, yeah. But he just dismisses everyone, right? Like, he doesn't entertain the idea that anyone could have any worth. He's too confident in his own abilities, and he's wrong to be so. I was wondering, can you inherit a war? Because I feel like Simon inherits this fight because of the mage, right? But all the kids growing up in this environment also inherit a war. Because later, mm. Penny has a conversation with her dad, and he says it makes me sad that you can't remember a world before this. And so, like, yeah... It made me think about 9-11 because I sometimes think about how easy the world was before 9-11 and how easy it was to travel back then. And there are people, kids who don't know. They're not even kids anymore. They're just there adults. There are kids whose parents served in Iraq who are serving now for the hmm. same war in a different part of the Middle East. Like, th this is a war that has been inherited. And may I've been thinking about it a lot because there's been a lot of discourse around 9-11 because of this recent Afghan thing. This parallel between covid and 9-11 is almost inescapable. The idea that we mm. should just move on with life now because COVID, like, this is just life now. We should go back to normal. But we never went back to normal after 9-11. And it wasn't just America. It no, wasn't just the it US. Was it was all of us shift. were affected yeah. by 9-11. We, you know, tragically, tragic event. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. 3,000 people died. But now people are dying every day and we're just expected to move on. Like, why is that trauma less valuable than... Is it just because we can't launch a war on a virus? Is that the only reason? That's an invisible <laughs> Pretty enemy? Much. Because when we have a war, we feel like we're in control. Uh, yeah. And we can't actually feel like we're in control when we're just hand washing and masking up and getting vaccinations. I guess that would be my estimation. I think Bez inherits some mission from his mum as well, right? Like she comes yeah, back. Yeah, she to definitely gives him a mission. Avenge me. Cool. Pretty much, yeah. Tell my son, tell him that my killer walks, Nicodemus knows, tell Basilton to find Nico and bring me peace. Like, that's a lot to put on your 18-year-old. Why aren't you going to Malcolm with this? Why are you coming to Baz with it? But then I think, you know, she wants to see him. She hasn't seen him. Yeah. And she just loves him so much. Okay, I mean, if I had to choose between my kids and, like, my spouse has moved on, I would, I would pick my kids, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, honey, but I would. Also, maybe she thinks Baz is a better magician. <laughs> Possibly. I can't, like, is his dad not very powerful? I think he's adequate, right? Yeah, both lines, the Grimms and the Pitchers are both fire magicians, right? Like, both of them, but... Daphne's useless, that's that's what it is. Yeah, bless her. She's nice, though. Love that's Daphne. It. Yeah, look, kindness is way more important than magical ability. Also, I think it's really sad that even when Lucy was finally able to manifest, Simon didn't know that she was visiting him. Oh, it breaks my heart. Um... 
Another way I saw inheritance was the idea that you inherit your beliefs from your parents or others. Oh, yeah. You know, like, so everything Simon thinks he knows, he's inherited from the mage. Penny parrots her mum. Agatha also parrots her parents. So, you know, we raise, we inherit the beliefs we're raised in until yeah. they're challenged. Like, it's not until Agatha presents a different viewpoint that Simon and Penny go, oh. Or there's a, a catalyst that causes you to reconsider the things that you yeah. are raised in. Otherwise, you just think it's true. Their whole argument about if it's right or wrong or if it's politics. Like, they're both actually correct mm. it is politics and also it's about what's right and wrong neither side is right or wrong though mm. the mage isn't right to be raiding people but the mage is right that children should be allowed to go to school to learn yeah. magic even if they're not particularly magical it's really fascinating i love how this this dilemma is threaded is like it's never answered it's never solved yeah like the old families are not evil just because they think that there is a magical heritage that is worth protecting but mm. concentrating power exactly. just between a few people is always problematic so Oh, yeah. You know, the mage says, I've stopped trying to figure these people out. They care more for their wealth and power than for our world. Sometimes I think they'd sacrifice anything to see me fall. And then, like, this is just the pot calling the kettle black. He would sacrifice anything to get the outcome he wants. Mm -hmm. And I found that the number one thing is when you're trying to get someone on side, you can't insult everything that they're about. You have to approach them with compassion and look at where they're coming from. And he's just like so angry and has such a chip on his shoulder that he can't do that. Nah. Poor Simon. He deserved a better mentor. But he has a great friend in Penny. I thought it was interesting how we kind of inherit the hurts and concerns of those we love. You know, Penny says, yeah. because your problems are my problems. Yeah. I love that. Because she's just adopted that. She's like, this is, I've inherited this from yeah. you, right? She's just ride or die. And I love her for that. When she says she leans into him because she wants to remind him that she's not afraid of him. Like, it's so wonderful. She loves him in such a good way. She loves him in a way that doesn't feel too sticky or cloying for him. I think he needs to be loved kind of like stiff upper lip like because he hasn't seen an expression of love right like that he hasn't yeah. he's just starved for affection i just feel like he's so much like lucy and needs that so much and if she had been alive she would have made that happen for him and they would have been so happy as like a little mom and son and it just makes me want to absolutely throw stuff through a window he deserved better she deserved better mage should get in the sea absolutely agree he's the worst like i swear so much in our notes like i just want people <laughs> who listen to this podcast to know what an extreme challenge it is for me to go the hour-long episode not swearing because i am an interpedean and therefore swearing is my second language oh absolutely I actually love fake swearing so much, though. Like, I get such joy out of being like, oh, biscuits. Um, I think that's it for me in Inheritance and Expectations. How about you? Yeah, I reckon that is all I had to say as well. But I do have a, quite a bit of tangential. Oh, yes. Okay, you go. Um, I just wanted to really... There are two, two sections that I really want to unpack. One is page 116, when Simon is talking to the mage and he says, We lock eyes and I see his fill with disappointment and pity. And how much that hurts him. Do we think the mage's eyes is actually filled with disappointment and pity? Or is this just something Simon is projecting because he feels that for himself disappointment yes pity no yeah. i think he's just looking at simon like he's a problem to be solved not a person but simon sees pity because he wants to matter to the mage yeah yeah i thought that too the other line that lives rent free in my head that i think about a lot so i'm really keen to talk to you about it is page 147 mm. when natasha grimpitch has visited simon right and then she kisses him on the forehead yeah. and he says no one has ever kissed me there no one has ever kissed me anywhere but on my mouth i think about this so much because we do find out later that Agatha and Simon have done the deed. Yes. Consummated their teenage love for each other. In the way that teenagers do. And I just find that fascinating, the idea that they would only have kissed on the mouth. 
It's not true, too, because in the third book, when she's in the surgery with him, where he's getting his wings, like, prepped, she looks at his chest and she's like, it's weird to realize that I've kissed every inch of that skin, but it's no longer mine to kiss. So it's just the Simon because he never thinks about Agatha. He never retains any information <laughs> around Agatha. She is just like... Maybe that wasn't in the category of kiss, but in the category of, like, relations. <laughs> so I'm going Victoria yeah. Auntie. It doesn't count if it's during the act. It's part maybe. of the act, then. It's not a kiss. The kiss is a yeah. separate thing. But even then, like, surely she would have kissed him on the cheek or something. I don't know. I just think it's interesting that he goes, no one has ever kissed me anywhere but on my mouth. And that is such a simple, small kind of, like, act of caring for someone. Or maybe it's the maternal thing. Because I didn't find it like, oh, no one has ever kissed me anywhere but on my mouth. I didn't find that to be the truth of it. But I found that, like, nobody had ever kissed him with tenderness that wasn't expressed as romantic love. Hmm. Like, no one has ever looked at him and been like, I will be affectionate with you because you are a human being who deserves touch. Yeah. And he even makes a remark that he hasn't even kissed her yet since he's been back at school and he should probably kiss her. Like, it's such a mechanical thing. This is what I mean with him. It's like, there's no real joy to it. It's because she's able. She's an end table. Yes. There you go. It's what's happening. You can't date furniture. Even really beautiful furniture. Oh, bless you, Simon. I feel really sad that he just doesn't remember affection other than romantic, though. Yeah, like, I genuinely think about this all the time. It's just he's never experienced any, like, love, really. Like, he gets affection from Penny and from Agatha, but still, it's just... I don't know. I just... No one held him as a child. Like, you know, no one cuddled him when he was sad or when he had a nightmare or when he was lonely. Like, no one was there for him. Babies are so lovable, too. This is the thing that, like... I just spent, like, three hours in the company of a baby yesterday, and I'm like, I would die for this thing. You spend enough time with a little one, and they're just impossible not to love and care about. And I just... Who were the carers? Like, he should have had better. Mm-hmm. There's um, there's an organization, I'd, you can't do it now, but there's definitely an organization where you can sign up to go and hold babies in the hospital, like Aww. NICU babies. And as soon as this pandemic is like well and truly buried, I am going to find the place that I can go and do that one day a week because I would love to just go and hold babies that need to be held. Just give me a baby to hold. Aww. Just like three hours a week or something. That would be perfect. I don't need to have any more, but if a baby needs holding, absolutely. I'm like the opposite. I'm, I cannot run farther away. <laughs> I've literally hidden in the bathroom at work when someone's brought a baby in because I'm like, I cannot, do not give this baby to me. Do not expect me to be excited about this baby. I will just hide until you leave. It's really easy. You just go, hi, baby. Sorry, I have a head cold. And then you walk off. <laughs> just pretend you have the sniffles. Like no one wants their baby to get sick. Yeah. You don't have to hide in the bathroom. Just pretend you got a cold. <laughs> Good intel. If anyone was like, no, I'm not feeling well, I'm like, back. Um, The other one that I thought of was when Penny talks about how Agatha is less tolerant of his power than she is. Yeah. Um, you know, and she says it might be because she has less of her own. It might be because their magic is incompatible. And I just want to flag this because it's a direct contrast to Baz later when he talks about Simon's magic feeling like completing a circuit. I feel like Penny just can put up with it. Like she's strong enough and tough enough to put up with it. Agatha is not. She doesn't have the temperament and the capacity for it. But Baz is already fire. So of course, electricity makes sense, right? Mm. Like Simon is lightning. That's what he is. Yeah, if he's a forest fire, if he's a burning, like if that's just what smoke, right? People describe him as smoke and fire and yeah. all those things. Then yeah, he's already got a tolerance for fire. I love that. I love that idea so much. And yet campfire smoke, wood smoke gives me instant headache. I'm I would not be able to hang out with Simon, which makes me feel very sad. I love a bit of smoke. I don't like the way it lingers in my hair for days. That's the problem, yeah. 
So I ended up with so many pennyisms that I have an opinion mm-hmm. section. Like when she says she'd like the mages men if there were a few more women among them. Fair point. When she makes fun of Baz's cousin, Marcus, is he the one that got trapped in a dumbwaiter our fourth year? That one's joined the other side, eh? Well, I'm shaking in my boots. <laughs> and then I love that she says, I don't think Simon and Agatha are in love, but it is my job to tell them so. And also, I've already tried. She's great. She is great. Did you have any perfectly normal roommate behavior? I had a few. I have a couple from Penny's point of view when she says, you know, I really, really hate to talk to Simon about Baz. It's like talking to the Mad Hatter about tea. (laughs) And then she also... She puts a limit on it, 10%. Yeah. And Simon's like, I'm not going to do maths every time I talk to you about Baz. Love that. Because he's like, of course I'm going to keep talking about Baz. Like, it's just so natural mm. to him. I also really love that Simon hates the girls sitting on Baz's bed. Like when Ad- Agatha sits on Baz's bed, Penny says Simon looks just as paranoid. But he's also told Penny off multiple times for sitting on Baz's bed. Like he's very yeah. protective of this bed. It's it's not like it's, it's Baz's space. Mm. No one else gets to be in Baz's space. I like that he's actually not sleeping. Like he, he just can't bear to sleep. And he actually goes and hides out in a little watchtower up on the ramparts and like watches for Baz mm. and then he might sleep there. And then Perfectly he, normal roommate behavior. He talks about why Agatha would be in love with Baz and he says maybe he didn't have to say anything. Maybe he just had to be himself. Smarter than I am. Better looking. Wealthier. If he weren't a vampire, Baz would be bloody perfect. Like Simon. I know. I, know. I actually read that out loud to my husband and I was like listen to this. Tell me they're not in love and he's like okay they sound obsessed. I'm like right? And then he says you know I do anything to bring him back. Like we've all known this all along yeah. but he submitted it to himself. Well, and that's right after his mom is looking at, like, where was it? Page 146. She looks over at the empty bed and her sadness is so potent that in that moment I do anything to get him back for her. I'd do anything to bring him back. Mm. Yeah, you would. You're finally admitting it. I also like that he knows it's Baz's handkerchief that Agatha has. Yeah. And he also knows what the pitch coat of arms looks like. Yep. There's so much. Perfectly normal roommate behavior going on here. <laughs> Do you have any more tangential marginalia? Uh, no, that's kind of all of it. Um, do you have any in-depth marginalia? So, page 127 is the bit that I chose, and it says, You both look tired, Penny declares. Maybe you have post-traumatic stress disorder. Maybe you're not used <laughs> to this much peace and quiet. So Penny says this at breakfast, as neither Agatha or Simon seem particularly engaged or into her plans, and they're both look exhausted because neither of them are sleeping because as it transpires they're both wandering the castle walls at night i think it's a bit of a stretch but maybe it's inheritance because something when something happens to you there are physical effects that you inherit you know they are symptoms that Mm. manifest in different physical ways and i think it's also expectation that penny expects that maybe they shouldn't be so tired or have ptsd because of what they've been through already like especially with simon everyone expects him to be fine because he's already slayed dragons so you know yeah it's quite a flippant remark from Penny and I think often people think they haven't suffered enough to be diagnosed with something like PTSD I was talking to a friend a couple of weeks ago and she said you know oh yeah I've been diagnosed with PTSD and I didn't think I had it because like nothing traumatic had really happened to me but when you talk it through it's like oh that is actually a kind of trauma and I think you know often people just think if you haven't thought in a war how can you have PTSD there's like this link between those two things and I think it's quite similar with burnout as well people don't recognize that they have burnout until very far along the line because they just don't think they're busy enough or important enough to have burnout it's never bad enough and so people delay seeking treatment for these things until they're very far down the track which means that recovery takes a lot longer because you have spent so much time spiraling and there are long-term physical effects to these things it does impact your sleep it impacts your cognitive ability your cortisol levels all these things you know your adrenal response everything is just out of whack and if something's affected you it's affected you there's no point gatekeeping that so like this is a flippant comment from penny but why shouldn't they have ptsd simon definitely has got some ptsd agatha would be well in her rights i mean she has been kidnapped many a time 
And yeah. like her agency has been stripped away from her. There's loads of reasons why people might be in the state that they're in. And I think what this calls me to do going forward is just to remember that I don't know what people are going through. Like I might think yeah. that they're fine or that they should be fine, but that doesn't mean there is. And that is not my place to decide. So yeah, just be kind and gentle. Yeah, it's really hard to know. Like, also, I think with trauma, we don't know what's going to stick, right? Mm. Like, one of the things I'm really working on is, like, figuring out what's going on with my kids and then immediately trying to find out how to, like, help them process it on the spot. Because, like you said, with burnout, with any kind of trauma, the longer it goes unaddressed, the worse it gets. So, like, every time something happens, I'm like, right, let's get right down to it. Let's figure it out. Let's solve it. Let's mm. let's see if we can head it off at the past, so to speak. Like, I just don't want it to, to stick. Not, not because I think that my kids are problems or anything but because I feel like not having somebody catching those things for me as a kid that would have been really helpful and mm. I really needed that and it's like the least I can do literally yeah I just think there's often situations like certainly when I was growing up where people would just be like oh just it's, stop crying it's not a big deal or this like they just dismiss your feelings which does damage mm. in the long run as well so I don't know did you have in-depth marginalia? I did. I actually kind of had two. I wanted to talk about the parallels that I found between them, and it was just too compelling to pick one. On page 125, Simon is talking about the way that Agatha is jealous of Penny. Agatha's always been jealous of Penny and me, no matter how many times I tell her it's not like that. It's really not like that. And then on page 134, we get some insight from Agatha that she's very aware that Baz has been like jealous of her and Simon. Mm. She says, I know that Basil, I don't know, thinks about me, or at least thought about me, that he used to watch me especially when I was with Simon. I know that he hated what Simon and I have and wanted it, that he'd do anything to get between us. So what's literally happening here is that Simon and Penny's relationship is so close that it can't be penetrated. Like they are just so close. And Agatha doesn't have that with Simon. So she feels a little jealous of that. And I'm a firm believer and you should date your best friend. Not like, you know, look at your best friend and be like, let's date. But like the person <laughs> you're dating, you should be best friends with. And Agatha and Simon are not best friends. Mm. They're like kind of good acquaintances, honestly. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Like they seem like they are in the same social group, but I'm not feeling anything really. And Agatha really wants to matter to someone. She wants to be that important. And she knows that Baz has been kind of popping up. So of course he presents himself as this like option. Baz's jealousy in Agatha's memory is that he's watching her, but really we know mm -hmm. that he was always watching Simon. This is not about Agatha, basically. So in the theme of it, I think the expectation is that Simon, if he survives, will claim Agatha as his prize and he will have a settled magical life or something. It's like this double whammy of inheritance and expectation. Like if he defies the expectations that he'll die, then he expects he will get to inherit the end game that he's been promised. Mm. Baz is upsetting that expectation kind of by like fiddling around in this supposed inheritance of Simon's like partly because he's like just stirring the pot because he has a secret crush on Simon but also like he he has a wide lap in terms of the magical heritage so he has like all of this ability he automatically belongs and he literally is the heir right like he's the heir of the previous headmistress so Baz has all of this stuff so there's a lot of jealousy going on in this group mm. of people the only one who's really not jealous is Penny because she knows who she is but what it made me think about I guess the real world text that I could link it back to sometimes we go for, through the motions to protect the people we love and sometimes that's at the expense of who we are mm. so friends of mine recently separated as one of them realized they were gay they tried for years to make their marriage work but eventually decided to separate what really struck me was when my friend said if it could have been anyone of that gender it would have been my spouse like sometimes we show up so hard for the people that we love that we hurt ourselves in the mm. process and sometimes we hope so hard for things to work out that we willfully push who we are to the back of our hearts 
So I guess I'm really proud of Agatha for not doing this. I'm, I'm glad that she kind of recognizes that it's never going to be like that with Simon and ends it before it could be endgame. So yeah, I guess I'm going to take that time to assess better when I find myself in the habit of things. Like, what am I doing this for? Who am I doing this for? What does it serve? Am I being honest with myself? And if I do that from the get-go, maybe I can avoid doing things for the wrong reasons. Hmm. That's good. That's lovely. I think, yeah, Agatha's, she does the right thing here. And she could have let it go on. She could have, like, just pretended to be happy for years and years and years. And it would have been a self-betrayal. So, yeah. 100%. I like that even Simon knows that she's jealous. He doesn't understand why she's jealous. Mm. He doesn't get the right reason for it. But he does note it. So, I just love that parallel of, like, Baz's jealousy ends on teasing. And Agatha's is just this silent, glooming thing. But it's still there. Yeah. I did get permission from my friend to talk about their relationship just clearing that up (laughs) i just i didn't want to say it i set off a text this morning like just letting you know i was thinking about talking about this i got the all clear so good work that's conscientious of you had something else ready to go just in case um do you have anybody you would like to spotlight this week i do so i actually want to spotlight natasha grimpitch because i think Mm. she's waited so long to see her son and he's not there and she won't have another chance for 20 years and actually if he does his job properly she probably won't come back at all so this is really her one time and now she's been deprived of this reunion by the same man who orchestrated her death and like so she doesn't get this reunion with Baz and I think this would have been so important for Baz as well because it would have shown Baz that she loves him still as he is because he has this whole thing about how his mum would have basically murdered him for being a vampire but the fact that she turns up here and she gives Simon this kiss to give to Baz I think you know she knows what he is and she still loves him and oh I just she deserved better she just deserved better on every level she's such an amazing fierce magician and to have this happen is just horrific I hate it justice for the mothers amen and I think that leads well into your character spotlight (laughs) (laughs) yes I'm spotlighting Lucy this week she deserved so much better and Simon deserves to know he's loved and wanted. And I just kind of thought it was funny that, like, it's so typical of the Grim Pitches to take the spotlight, isn't it? So Natasha gets this whole long thing. She gets a little soliloquy. She gets to, like, interrogate Simon. She even gets to kiss him. But Lucy just gets the faintest of words. And she doesn't even get to be known. I just want her to have a minute with him. I just want her to have that minute to be known and to be seen. And for Simon to be like, I belonged to someone and I was wanted. And Mm. she wouldn't have left me if she could have avoided it. I just, I need him to know that. And he doesn't get to know that. And that breaks my heart. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. So this is literally the worst ever. Everything is terrible. Yeah, but I think what we can take from this is that mothers are amazing. So if you're a mom and you're listening to this, know that we love you. Thanks to our moms as well for being great. It's hard out there for mums, especially when you have willful gens like we are. Don't get enough credit as well. Like, that's hard work. And it's just I think my foundations are pretty solid. Mm. That's not an easy feat. I'm a very difficult person, so. And I was certainly not an easy child to raise, so. But you're a delight to know. Thank you. So are you. Next week, we'll be reading chapters 28 through 35 on the theme of control. And Baz will actually be back next week. So I'm very excited for that. I hate that he comes back literally the day after his mom appears. Like, I hate this. I'm just telling you this now. I hate this so much. One day. One day. (laughs) Thank you for another excellent recording session. Yes, thank you so much, Jen. I'm so glad we got to do this. Me too. It's always a bright spot on a dreary, dreary day. (laughs) All right. I'll speak to you soon. See ya. Bye. 
Thanks for joining us today. Marginally Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginally Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.